A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Welcome to another episode of the Do North Outdoors podcast. I am Travis Frank. I'll be your host again today. Big thanks to Brandon Morton, our podcast producer, for his talents and bringing everybody this podcast. Hopefully it's clear audio. If not, we blame Brandon for that. It's never me. It's always him. My guest today is Todd Froberg, big game coordinator for the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Todd, welcome back to the show. appreciate you making time for us today. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Or, uh, geez, <laughs> thanks, Travis. Uh, it's good to be back. Well, I know you've got a lot on your plate, and it is the best time of the year right now. Hunting season is officially here. In a few short days, the forest will be covered in orange pumpkins, as I like to call them. All that blaze orange out in the woods because deer hunting season is fast approaching. And for you, what does that mean as the state's big game coordinator, Todd? What exactly does a big game coordinator do for the state? Well, um, the big game program coordinator, I guess, are, we have three people uh, currently within the big game program. So um, <clears throat> I'm the big game program coordinator. My boss is the big game program leader. Uh, that's Barb Keller. Um, her and I work together to set rules and regulations throughout the state for elk, moose, and deer. And of course, most of that um, is taken up by deer as that's our most uh, numerous species in the state. Um, it's a a good reprieve sometimes we get to work on some elk stuff, but um, that's, you know, fairly short-lived. Uh, and then again with the moose, since there's no uh, licensed hunt, uh, we do not um, get involved with too much moose stuff. Um, just uh, bits and pieces uh, when that stuff is happening throughout the year, surveys or uh, certain things like that. So, Well, last year you and Eric Hildebrand came into the office and we talked about the deer herd and CWD and a lot of... Um, important topics that we're going to dig into again today to get updates on. But we did touch briefly on moose and elk. Are there updates this year on the moose herd? Are they rising, falling, numbers holding steady? Where are we at? Yeah, so we've been stable for, um, you know, the past few years. I think last year we talked that um, I think it was the highest point, uh, survey point and uh, I might've been even a decade. Um, but it was, I think it was at 11% high in, uh, this year. Uh, it dropped actually, I think it was 30%, but I think the, the important thing to remember is that, uh, there's just some annual variations. It's, it's not uh, super important, I guess on an annual basis, those are kind of noise points. So those, those things that we're looking at is the long-term trends and those long-term trends are indicating, um, stability uh, within the moose population so that's the good news um, like I said I think last year I said the good news was that we had the highest point but um, I guess if we we're a pessimist then you would say well it looked like it dropped this year but important to keep in mind that that's just sometimes noise and um, 
currently we're at a stable population. Do you think we'll have a moose hunting season in Minnesota again? Boy, I wish so, but um, I think there's a long way to go until we get there. Um, I really, I really wish we could. Um, it gets people excited about moose and invested in moose. So um, it, I think it would be a good thing. Um, uh, in I don't, there's something special about just how big moose are. I've seen some right. uh, videos on trail cameras in the in the past few weeks of people sharing, I guess, on Facebook and uh, from you know northeastern Minnesota and um, Man, they're just a magical creature. Yeah, when you see them, you just you you freeze, you stop, you you can't help but just take it in because they are so rare to see in Minnesota. But when you do, it's just so cool. You're like, wow. And I and I feel like that's why you know there's this argument where a lot of a lot of deer hunters push back because of the deer populations having to drop in order to have more moose. So it's kind of that controversy, I guess, if you will. I mean, we touched on it last year, but the reality is that in, in, unless there's any new information that's been out, uh, the brain worm that deer tend to carry are one of the causes of the moose decline. Is that accurate? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, factors associated with that and, um, factors that, <clears throat> that go into that. There's not just one thing that points to, a decline in moose uh there's multiple um inputs that are that are affecting that including um uh, you know a, a changing forested landscape uh climate change um making it more um uh, you know making the landscape uh, better off for deer um we've had potential changes in that um uh, parasite load as well um due to that um climate change you know winter ticks in general um, increasing. So it's not specifically just brain worm, but, um, there are a lot of factors associated with that. And then of course you can't leave out, um, predator base. Um, there's, there's a higher, higher predator base in, in certain areas, localized areas. Um, I guess in general, um, in Northeastern Minnesota compared to, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago. So, um, there's, there's swings and, and, and predators and, um, parasites and and those types of things and even deer so and then of course just those um you know major landscape changes of the the forest composition um habitat changes um it'll be interesting to see i guess in the coming years uh, there was the you know the big fire up there uh and uh, anecdotally it seems like there's a, a quite a few moose occupying um, that area so um it'll be an interesting uh, i guess little bit of a science project moving mm -hmm. forward to see to see how that turns out yeah i mean that's healthy for a forest to burn it, it just is it, it did that well before we were here and we pretty much put out the fires as quickly as they start nowadays because we are so populating in these forested areas now but once upon a time that stuff happened regularly and that leads to healthy wildlife i mean it just does and a lot of people don't think about it that way, but that's the truth. So it could be a boost for the moose population. I know it's going to be a boost for rough grouse and other wildlife species up in that area too. Um, can I ask you about the elk uh, since we brought this up and we're already straying off the deer? What are the chances of getting an elk tag in Minnesota if you apply? 
Yeah, so I think we we typically have about thirty five hundred to four thousand people uh, apply for an elk tag, um, and uh, this year um, we had seventeen tags total. Uh, so you know, I guess you can you can calculate the odds based on that. It it does get a little bit um, a little bit more complicated based on on preference. Uh, so there's a once you've applied for ten years, you get set in a a separate preference for that that 10-year rule there's also landowner tags there's if you own 160 acres within the the elk uh, the elk range then uh, you're also you know put in for that landowner pool so there's uh 25 of the tags go to landowners um and then uh what's left over goes to the general pool so it does get a little complicated it's not as uh, straightforward as just uh you know 17 out of uh, 3,500 or something like that. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a little bit more involved. It's not um, quite a random draw. Yeah, not, not quite. There is preference based on, on certain categories, but, um, the rest is, is random draw after that. So, uh, but there has been, I guess it seems every year, uh, I hear the story of somebody who applied for the first year and then they they drew their elk tag. So, um, there was somebody this year who, uh, applied for the first time and, and drew an elk tag and they were successful. So, and I don't know if you've been following along um, you know, or what's been been put out so far on on social media and the in the news, but there have been some absolute um, stud bulls shot mm-hmm. in uh, Northwest Minnesota this year, uh, including a youth hunter who shot a, I think like a ten by eleven. I think there was there's been two um, just absolute uh, monster bulls that are kind of vying for at least top five, um, top five or top ten. Um, you know, uh, biggest bulls shot, uh, antler wise. So, uh, it's in been interesting Minnesota to see or in America. Oh no. In Minnesota. Yeah. So, okay. um, no, 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 no. I mean, are they, are they top five oh, in the sorry. country? No, um, that would be uh, top, top five, top 10 in, in Minnesota. I'm not sure where they would rank, um, nationwide in the country, but we, we certainly have some, um, you know, world-class trophies that are, that are shot out of Minnesota, um, that are, you know, upper, I guess if we're getting deep into the details, upper 300, uh, uh, inch bulls. So, yep. um, I'm not sure what those ones will score this year, but they are really big. So I've seen pictures. I, I actually know a couple of people associated with some of those hunts and they're monster bulls. I mean, Minnesota has some of the biggest bull elk in the country, hands down. I mean, we just, we don't have a huge population of them, but every year, Todd, every year there's monster bulls that get taken in our state. And I think the vast majority of uh, Minnesotans have no idea that they even exist here. Yeah, you're 100% uh, on, on the nail. You hit the nail on the head there. Um, uh, I mean, that that shows, I guess we have a, a passionate hunter base in Minnesota. And knowing that only 3,500 to 4,000 people apply, I guess that shows that, you know, I would say a vast majority probably don't know that they have the opportunity to harvest an elk in Minnesota. And if they saw the pictures, maybe they would change their mind. Cause like you said, every single year, there's some just giant bull shot. So mm-hmm. do we have an update on the, the potential elk population moving to the central East central part of the state? Yeah. So there was, there was a, um, uh, out of the legislature this year, there was uh, a funded, um, I guess it was elk restoration was funded for Northeastern Minnesota. Um, we are still in the process of, um, kind of 
uh, assessing and, and um, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say assessing for Northeastern, but um, there's been some assessment done by the University of Minnesota and then the Fond du Lac um, band um, so, so far, but um, we are kind of, uh, well, we're, we're going to be sampling um, deer in Northwestern Minnesota this year to, to get an assessment of risk on, on elk and deer and in northwestern Minnesota before we uh, do move any elk. So uh, there are still, uh, you know, a, a few boxes to check before that happens, but there is money appropriated for that, um, and that's uh, with the Fond du Lac tribe. So um, the the process is going. It's a it's a long process. Um, uh, uh, Mike Schrag is the biologist for the Fond du Lac tribe, and um, I, I believe Mike's been working at this pretty diligently for um, a good, uh, a decade now or almost a decade. So, um, uh, he's pretty invested in it and, mm-hmm. um, it, it is moving forward even if it is slowly, but, um, it's, it's gaining momentum at the moment. Based on what you know, can you give us an estimate? Are we two, three, four, five years away from elk being reintroduced back into the Northeast? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a few factors uh, associated with that, depending on um, <clears throat> kind of where we, where we come out with uh, CWD sampling um, this fall within the, within the deer population in northwestern Minnesota to get a good assessment of risk up there. Okay. Um, so depending on, you know, how some of this stuff plays out, will the potentially determine, um, you know, like the feasibility or the timeline. But um, I would say we are, are probably somewhere along the lines of um, – uh, I don't know, maybe two to five years, but that's a, that's a real good guesstimate. Um, uh, there's some, there's things that need to be done first before, before that can happen. So. Well, I, I can imagine it being a difficult process because I, I'm very familiar with the elk population in Minnesota and just how challenging that is to work with because of the controversy that area landowners, ranchers, farmers, have with the animal. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that it's not going to be easy, but I think a lot of people that would get the opportunity to see elk on our landscape would say, ah, man, that's, they were here first and it would be cool to have them back here too. Can you, uh, um, give an update as to why the elk numbers, or I should say the license numbers this year at 17, I believe that's quite a bit less than last year. Um, is, is there a reason why the number of licenses are less this year? Yeah. So I, I believe last year was 32 or 34, if I'm remembering correctly, but it was nearly double. Um, so there's a, there's a couple, a couple reasons for the, the decrease in tags. So we do, you know, an, an annual flight survey to get a minimum, minimum count estimate. Um, and based on that minimum count estimate, um, we are set in statute to uh, manage the populations within certain goals. Um, so, you know, those goals are, are set fairly low for, a, a and fairly specific for a, a wild population of ungulates. Um, so, uh, we have to manage within those windows. Um, and the last few years, uh, we, we also have to manage, I guess, uh, based off of, uh, a, a sex ratio. So those males and females within the population, um, depending on, you know, what our minimum count estimate is, um, the last few years we've, We've um, been, uh, you know, f- well, the success is very high within these hunts. Um, mm-hmm. and we have uh, harvested quite a few antlerless deer uh, or antlerless antlerless elk, elk in the past yep. in the past few years. So, 
Um, just based on that, um, we wanted to ease off that um, just slightly um, and, and give, I guess, a bit of a reprieve um, there in the actually this year and last year <clears throat> success has dropped um you know slightly within the those antlerless permits and uh it's seemingly from i guess the hunters have said that the antlerless deer or the i keep saying antlerless deer sorry the antlerless <laughs> okay. elk um are being are actually harder to hunt than those uh those antlered elk so those bulls are are actually have been easier to harvest than um the cows so Hmm. Um, so based on that, we, we have been easing off. Um, and then also, uh, the Red Lake, uh, uh, nation has been, uh, well, last year they, uh, had five, five tags. So they're exercising their treaty rights, uh, in Northwestern Minnesota. Um, and, um, we were also anticipating them to do that again this year. And they indeed have, um, uh, have, they have 30 tags that, which is, um, uh, it's being capped at, at 15, um, animals. So, um, uh, and they have harvested a, a few bulls, um, as well, which are some beautiful animals again. So, mm-hmm. uh, based on those, um, we, we kind of wanted to ease off what the tag allocation was, um, knowing that, um, the Red Lake band, uh, would also, um, be harvesting elk and, um, uh, you know, as well as there's been quite a bit of pressure on antlerless elk in the past few years. So, uh, and then just based on our, our counts of where we are, um, just, uh, trying to, I guess, balance the population to, uh, within, within goal of where we're supposed to be. So, um, that's kind of how those, uh, tag allocations are, are dictated. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, let's switch over to white-tailed deer. We have, uh, is it still roughly a half a million deer hunters in Minnesota that are about to head into the field? Yeah, that's kind of been the long-standing number, but I think it's actually closer to um, four in between. You know, four sixty-five and four eighty. So uh, you know, there isn't a whole lot of yearly variation. But uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's I think it's four sixty four sixty-five for firearms hunters, and then four eighty um, total. So, um, so that's kind of where the, the traditional 500,000 or half a million deer hunters comes from is the, t- the total deer hunters. Um, and of course I, we, as we talked about, uh, last year, um, uh, in Minnesota, we have about a one and a half to 2% decline in hunters each year. Um, we're faring better than the rest of the nation is with a uh, hunter declines, but, uh, we are losing, um, our, you know, some of our deer hunters on an annual basis. And I guess that's what the result of why we're not at the, the half a million deer hunters anymore. Uh, I saw something on Instagram the other day by outdoor life that was posted saying that the number of hunters in America are actually up a little bit. Is, is that true? Or are we still seeing that one to 2% decline? Um, I guess, well, I'll say that uh, they the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Report did just come out. Um, I actually haven't had a chance to look at that, so I am not sure um, okay. nationally where hunter numbers fall. Um, what I can say is um, in Minnesota that we are still um, losing uh, hunters, specifically deer hunters, um, in the rest of, I guess, the Midwestern states um, that we have conversation, conversations with, um, 
you know, uh, occasionally that they are also um, losing hunters. Um, they're more so, I guess, you know, their their hunter decline is a little bit more drastic than ours in, you know, Michigan. Um, I think they've had like a 30% decline uh, within the last decade, maybe even more. Um, and also Wisconsin's uh, lost quite a bit more hunters than, than Minnesota has. But I guess the the difference uh, or the the positive way, I guess you could look at it for, for their deer hunters is they have uh, quite a few more deer hunters than we do, uh, closer to the 600,000 uh, mark than, than, our, than our number. So. Where does Minnesota rank in the nation as far as deer hunters? Ooh, I'm, that's I'm, a tough one. I know one. I'm coming I, at I'm, you with a I, lot of stats here, but I'm just yeah, curious. I, I believe we're in the top 10, but um, I, I think I, Texas is number one. Um, Pennsylvania is up there. They have a very high hunter density. Um, Michigan, Wisconsin, those um, rank as uh, uh, top states. Um, I am, I'm not actually sure, I guess, uh, where Minnesota ranks um, uh, on the – on the scale, but we are, I believe, in the top 10 for a number of deer hunters. Clean, safe water is a big deal, and I'm grateful that I have a Kinetico system in my home so that I can be sure that my family is drinking the best water possible. Now is a great time to consider a Kinetico system for your home. Aquarius Home Services is now offering a 25% discount on their top-notch whole home Kinetico water system. Whether it's city or well water, a Kinetico system removes impurities and provides spotless dishes, softer clothes, and purified water right from your faucet. Enjoy life-giving water. Experience the benefits of clean water with this can't-miss 25% off offer from Aquarius Home Services. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Ready for a women-forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. Ten cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty, and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles. Located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. Gotcha. So as we record this, we are just a couple of days ahead of the youth deer hunting season over MEA weekend here in Minnesota. And I have a young deer hunter that I'm going to be taking out. And I have several other young hunters that are not 10 yet that can't hunt. So in Minnesota, how long ago did we begin the youth deer season? Do you remember, Todd? I believe it was 2012. Um, and then it went, oof, you're, you're really, uh, hold on. I might have to look that up. <laughs> well, while you look it up, it, I will just tell people, there's still time, if you're listening to this, to bring a young hunter out. If they're between 10 and 12 years old, they can buy a special youth deer hunting license, and you get to go out there with them and sit with them. And the reason why this is so special is because there's really a lot of focus on the kids for a couple of days. The deer... Um, are not being pressured by a lot of other hunters in the woods right now. So if you're a bow hunter, you realize the joys of bow hunting that you get the woods to yourself. A lot of the times you're quiet out there. 
there's not a lot moving the deer and they're moving naturally, which is a beautiful thing to see. But to bring a young hunter out now, it's typically not as cold and you don't have deer running. They're walking. If you can get out on a field or, you know, get set up with them, it's just a great, great opportunity to really invest in those kids and and introduce them to the hunt. Um, but I will say that I also bring the same kids that I'm taking out on this youth hunt up to our our standard deer hunting opener because man, there's just nothing better than deer camp and having the kids be a part of that as well and coming out and sitting with me in the stand has really, really made the deer hunt a little bit more challenging, not going to lie, but way, way more uh, rewarding at the same time to spend it with my kids. And, And I've been bringing my nephew along as well. Last year on the youth hunt, he harvested his first deer, a 10-year-old harvesting his first deer. Um, and we cleaned it together. We cooked it back at camp and we had fresh uh, tenderloins and deer steak that night. And I just tell you, those kids loved every part of the whole experience. And I encourage you, I strongly encourage you to take the time to bring a young kid out hunting. And doing it over MEA, you still have your season. If you really cherish that deer hunt, you still have that to yourself as well when the regular firearm season opens up. So Todd, any update on those numbers? Yeah, sorry. My my recollec- recollection was correct. Um, I, the, the youth hunt started in 2012 and uh, it's changed to statewide in 2019. So, um, you know, fairly within recent memory for the statewide. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely, um, an exciting time, especially for the youth. And like you say, um, it gives parents the opportunity to, to get, dedicate that time, that given time, um, to the youth and, um, you know, really focus on them to make sure they have a safe and enjoyable hunt. So, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, being, um, you know, towards the end of, of late October. Um, it's a, it's a good, great time to be in the woods. Um, it's not super cold, but, um, not, you know, typically super warm either. So it's about that perfect, uh, fall temperature. Um, and of course over, you know, the traditional MEA weekend, um, most kids have it off. So, um, Mm -hmm. a really exciting time for, for youth to be out of school and, uh, in the deer woods. Absolutely. Are we seeing numbers on that growing? amount of kids participating um they it it, of course uh it it, you know it it has been i guess growing um since um 2019 i think we've we've might have reached kind of a plateau um that first few years where it was statewide um there was a little bit of growth but i think we've we've kind of reached that plateau now um where it's pretty um stable consistent um I guess, uh, replacement of kids either, uh, coming in or getting too old and, uh, switching over to the, to the opening hunt. So. Gotcha. Any guesses as to just a rough idea, how many kids will be hunting in our youth season? Oh, I keep putting um, you on the spot here. I apologize. I know I should have these, uh, um, these numbers on hand. Uh, hold on. Brandon, we're making some work for you. (laughs) (laughs) So what people don't always know is that you're busy and I'm producing other content too. So I don't script this. I don't come up with pre-scripted questions. When we started recording, I just like to talk about what's on my mind. 
Um, and so therefore I put Todd in a disadvantage because he doesn't always know what I'm going to hit him with. And that's fine, Todd, if you don't have that number. I was just wondering, just out of curiosity, if it was 10,000 kids, 20,000 kids, 500. I mean, I honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. So the youth license sales, uh, last year in 2022, there was, uh, about 57,000. So, um, Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's way more than I thought. Yeah. And I, I should probably, uh, uh, go back on, on what I said, um, earlier, um, I guess based on, on the firearms youth license sales, uh, we had, we've been fairly steady in between the, you know, uh, 56,000 to about 62. So, um, there has been a, a slight decline in the last few years, but not much. We've been pretty stable at those marks. Hmm. Well, and we are probably going to see a few more license purchased here in the next couple of days as we head into that MEA weekend there. And for people listening that maybe don't know, can you explain what that license entails, the, the cost of it? The kid gets to tag his own deer, right? I mean, is there anything else to it? Is that four days or can you use it over the regular firearm season as well? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that the tag um, is is f- for the young kids, uh, it's free. Um, and then uh, once you get to uh, a certain age, then it's five bucks. Uh, and I believe at another, the next step up is 10 bucks. So a, a relatively um, cheap tag. Make sure you read the regulations to know which one you're, you're getting, but uh, it's based on the age group. Um, and that um, youth license is good for, of course, the youth season. So um, as we've discussed, um, uh, October 19th to the 22nd. Um, and then um, that tag is actually uh, good for the rest of the, uh, the year as well. So any uh, open firearm season, uh, that tag serves um, as the, the use gun license. So um, it is good uh, beyond that use season as well. Gotcha. So um, let's dig into the deer herd itself. We had a pretty severe winter last winter. How did the deer come out of it? Uh, do we want to just do an overview and then we can break it down by region? Maybe we'll go um, north, east, southeast, southwest, northwest, and then central. Does that sound okay? Yeah, sure. Let me know where you want to start. And Okay, what's a general it? overview as we head into our deer season this year? Are we thinking it's going to be overall better numbers of deer than last year? Or are we down based on the winter that we just came out of? Yeah, um, I, I would say statewide, I would, I would guess that it's going to be fairly similar with, um, you know, uh, parts of the North, uh, being down, but, um, you know, part, maybe even some parts of the South, uh, being stronger than last year. So I would say maybe harvest is going to be, um, fairly similar. Although I say that, and we are, we are currently down about 15% on harvest so far, um, a lot of that'll be, you know, uh, where we fall will be dictated by opening firearms week. And that's when the majority of harvest happens. So, uh, where we, where we end up is, uh, really going to be largely dependent upon that. And if we have great weather, um, we could have a very strong harvest. Uh, so I would say overall, I would expect, uh, to have a, a pretty similar harvest to last year, uh, maybe slightly, slightly down just based on where we're at now. Uh, you know, most of the DPA, so our deer permit areas have, have stayed the, ha, have the same 
regulation as they did the bag limit regulation as they did last year. So, um, and, and in general, uh, where those, uh, decreases in, uh, the, the bag limits or the, you know, are more conservative is, uh, the Northern part of the state. Um, we've been fairly consistent, uh, with liberalized harvest in central and Southeast Minnesota. And actually, you know, in some areas, uh, in, southwestern minnesota and south southern minnesota um there's been a a, a liberalization and uh the bag the bag limits so um more opportunity down there mm-hmm. so it, i mean i feel like back in what we can call our modern day heyday for bag limits uh for deer i feel like five deer was kind of like a big deal for people to be able to take, which was a buck and then four antlerless or five antlerless deer, depending on what you chose. We're not in that area right now and we might not be for a few years yet. Right. No, definitely not. And even, um, I guess back and I think we would say the heydays of the, which was probably, um, the early two thousands, late 2000, um, you know, before the 2010s was, uh, uh, deer populations were high across much of the Midwest, um, and especially Minnesota. Um, you know, like you're saying is there was pretty high bag limits even, uh, in Northern Minnesota, um, compared to what they are now. So, um, that was before those severe winters in the, in the 2010. So the back-to-back of 13, 14, that kind of set the Northeastern portion portion of the state back. But, uh, before then, yeah, it was a pretty liberalized bag limits and, um, yeah, we are not at that right now for, for up there, but, um, like I say, in other parts of the state, um, I don't, I can't remember what we were doing, but we were just doing a, a dive into, um, some historical, uh, bag limits within the big game program for, a, for a meeting we were on. And, um, it was, it was kind of interesting to see, uh, what those historical bag limits were for the Southeastern portion of the state, um, in the, in really the central part of the state of how conservative bag limits were um, really back then compared to where they are now. So, um, maybe the heydays for, for those areas of the state is, is right now. Um, I would say, um, based on deer number and kind of, you know, um, it, it, um, you know, what's being harvested, trending more towards, um, older age class males. So, um, from that aspect, it might be the heydays. Well, yeah. Cause I remember when I first started hunting back in the nineties, um, big it was a big deal to get a doe permit you know like everybody had to apply where we hunted and that was just in the central part of the state kind of in the Brainerd area and every year it's like oh did you get drawn like I remember my dad calling his brothers and uh other people in camp hey did you get drawn this year did you get a doe tag and then we everyone would get to camp like well we have three doe permits this year and now you know fast forward 10 years into the early 2000s there it's like all right everybody can have five and you're just thinking my goodness so i feel like based on what i'm seeing in my travels and and my deer hunts we're at, our population is is just healthy I mean, is that a fair assessment we have a healthy population of deer in minnesota yeah from a statewide aspect um certainly i would say that there's a uh uh well air quotes, I guess, relatively healthy. Um, so, uh, you know, like I I think there's different aspects. We have a, you know, a very diverse state, um, with, uh, you know, a diverse biome. So depending on where you are, 
well, I guess maybe what will dictate what you say is a healthy deer population, whether it's being over or under, but um, overall statewide, um, I would say a healthy population, yes. So we know the central part of the state, especially around the cities area, It's I think you can get an unlimited amount of doe permits depending on where you're at. Um, but then as let's, let's go to the Southeast part of the state. That's where I think, you know, the bluff country, uh, big bucks come to mind. I mean, just feel like every year there's just a lot of big mature whitetails that get taken in the Southeast. Are we still looking at strong numbers there? I know the APR antler point restriction is no longer in place there, but, um, there's still probably going to be a lot of big bucks shot down there. Yep, I would I would say so. Um, it's stayed, you know, harvest has stayed fairly consistent um, within those kind of five DPAs that are five, six, seven DPAs that make up um, the southeast part of the state. Um, uh, harvest has been has been you know very stable, I guess, across the whole southeast. Um, I would expect um, really nothing less this year. Um, and like you say, there's, uh, you know, uh, at least within the past few decades, it's definitely been, a, a you know, a awesome area of the state to, to harvest, uh, uh, I guess, potential trophy, trophy deer, uh, you know, uh, those, I guess the bucks with the big racks. So, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a fantastic part of the state with fantastic deer habitat. So let's move Southwest farm country. Numbers there. I know the winter was tough, but every time I drove through it, the deer were out there. And did we have any winter mortality there? And are the numbers still stable? Yeah. So southwestern part of the state, uh, we've actually had some increases uh, within those DPAs uh, for um, you know the, the bag limits. So there's more opportunity in the southwestern part of the state. The southwestern part of the state is, uh, you know, our heavily uh, egg, or, egg region. So, um, we've been experiencing in the last few years, um, more agricultural, um, you know, deer depredation complaints. So that's, uh, I guess, uh, you know, indicative of, well, the, maybe some agricultural changes, but also of course, um, increases in deer population. So we we're getting those reports from areas where it's never been reported before. Um, so yeah, I would say the populations are, strong to uh growing um and i i know that our um regional manager and some of our area managers down there have, have, you know have made the remark that um in some of those dpas they never expected to have a two deer limit and some of them they do so um wow. it is a, a strong population there um based on i guess uh, on a the wsi or the winter severity index there there were some pretty localized areas of of harsh or severe um, areas and there were uh, multiple reports of of dead deer um, in certain areas. I wouldn't expect that to have a major uh, population impact. Uh, you know, based on the the entire southwest part of the state, that's going to be pretty localized. So, uh, you know, in some areas you might might see some some reduced densities. But I also heard um, anecdotally from from all, you know landowners and um, our area managers that uh, you know deer were kind of eating some undesirable species. So, you know, maybe having a, a, a tough time. So, you know, whether they're eating red cedar or something that they, they typically would go to, um, you know, later in the year or last, um, they were hitting a little bit earlier or keying in on some of that of, of what was available. But, um, you know, they're, 
I guess their kind of thought was that um, much of it was uh, young of the year deer, and uh, maybe that's uh, just a, a, a limitation, nutritional limitation, So, um, which might be indicative of a, a high deer population. So it might not be as noticeable um, on based on, you know, just higher deer populations in general and I guess losing some of those fawns. But if we're having a, a good production from um, those older age uh, does um, reproducing, it should be still pretty good. What happens when you feel the call from a farmer that says we have a lot of damage to our crops from the deer? Do they do you issue deer tags for them to take a few out of the herd, or do you just say that we'll acknowledge it next season, heading into our permit quotas? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. Um, we we typically try to work within the frameworks of the hunting season. So um, a lot of times when we're when we're talking to to farmers or landowners who are, are experiencing you know deer damage, we're making sure that they're utilizing um, you know hunting seasons, especially so um, uh, you know in areas where we have the early antlerless season, or maybe in like in the southeast where we have those CWD late hunts. Um, sometimes, you know, if a, if a farmer is busy with his crops and has a uh, hundred other things to do, he's not exactly maybe paying attention to, to, the, you know, the deer regulations or the deer seasons. Of course, a lot of hunter or uh, farmers are hunters as well, but those ones who, who maybe aren't, aren't maybe as familiar um, with the hunting season. So making sure that they're utilizing those seasons, available seasons to harvest deer on their property, uh, getting hunters out there is a, uh, is kind of the first step. Um, and helping them, I guess, mitigate that problem. Um, if it's a repeated problem, um, we uh, have, you know, um, multiple tools for them, uh, depredation tags, um, and then a cooperative damage agreement. Um, You're excused. So, yeah, we would have a cooperative damage agreement that they would sign on to, which uh, entails a, a, a hunt plan for them. So they, they develop a, a a disposition uh, of what will happen with the deer um, and then a hunt plan that requires them to, you know, uh, harvest a certain percentage of antlerless deer. So we'd be focusing on antlerless deer to uh, address the, the annual problems of over deer densities within those areas. So it's not just uh, free tags given out or anything like that. There is uh, sure. quite a bit of forethought that goes into this and they, um, these, you know, the farmers and landowners have to be demonstrating um, that they are doing their best to solve the problem proactively within the season frameworks. Um, and that's kind of after, if there's still repeated problems in, a, in immediate, I guess, damage to those crops, there can be uh, depredation permits given. So, uh, but typically um, we like to, you know, approach that and address those uh, situations within the season frameworks um, uh, when possible. Sure. Well, you know, and I, I meant to bring this up before. There's actually two things on this one, the depredation. I want to talk about wolves real quickly without getting too sidetracked. But I also want to mention the importance of we talk about hunter numbers and those numbers going down overall throughout the state. That has a direct effect on how we can manage wildlife, too, because hunters are America's greatest conservationists. Our hunter dollars go towards managing wildlife habitat, managing our natural resources. So are you seeing challenges in managing around the state because we have less hunters today? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that, um, I mean, I think it's twofold. Um, so not only are we having a decrease in hunters, but there's also been a, uh, you know, a, 
a pretty observable shift in, um, you know, hunting behavior. Um, so hunters in general are not harvesting as many deer as they previously were. I think, you know, in, in general, most people are living a, a little bit higher on the hog than they maybe were in the eighties and nineties. So they, you know, um, there's, there's more, um, well, less need for the meat. Yeah. Right. There's less need for the meat. So there's just, we're, we're not putting as much deer meat in the freezer. So we're just not killing as many deer. Um, and then <clears throat> there's been a shift, I guess, you know, a nationwide shift in general to, um, be, uh, targeting older age class males. And then, um, those, the, I guess the national deer association has put out those, uh, trend, those trend lines and the, you know, kind of the bar graphs of, of showing where we are with antlerless deer harvest and, an antler deer harvest and um you know previously it was always antlerless deer harvest was uh ab- above antler antlered harvest and that trend has recently shifted and uh, we see those same things in in minnesota um so we are having difficulties uh uh harvesting antlerless deer especially in some of those areas so a loss of hunters and then a shifting in in hunter behavior in those areas is is making it difficult to um, harvest deer. And since I mentioned the National Deer Association, they had just put out, uh, I believe it was last week, a, a popular article about um, the need for um, for hunters to harvest more antlerless deer and kind of balance, um, you know, whether it's um, the sex ratio, sex age ratio. So um, I also said earlier that there's been a, you know, a focus of targeting those older age class males, which is not a bad thing. It's just that, um, you know, we, we should be doing things, uh, you know, kind of the, the correct way and uh, making sure that um, we're managing those deer populations in an appropriate manner. So not just maybe targeting one um, adult buck per year, but, um, you know, depending on which area you're in, uh, also harvesting those antlerless deer and limiting that competition and balancing out the, the age structure and the sex ratio in those areas. So well, I'm doing my best to do my part. I've got four little tiny meat eaters and I, I wish I could get more tags where I hunt because my kids go through a lot of venison every year. We actually just got an extra freezer hoping that we can put another deer or two into it this fall. And, uh, yeah, we have big plans for the meat. We just enjoy it. We, we eat it regularly. We have wild game many days a week, multiple days a week, all year long. And we rely on it, but we also just really like it. And my, my family does too. So, um, I was going to ask you about, oh yeah, the wolves. Um, we talked about the moose. We talked about the elk a little bit. You mentioned the, the predation. Let's, as we move up into the Northern, uh, parts of the state, the Northwest and the Northeast, do we have more wolves in our state right now than we've ever had? Uh, I, I, I think the, um, the wolf population or the, the wolf estimates have been, have been pretty stable um for i don't even know how long maybe the past decade but i know at mm-hmm. least for the past few years it's been uh pretty stable i think there you know there's uh uh probably higher populations in in certain areas um but in you know an expansion of population you know you're seeing some wolves in places where they haven't been before but i think just in general the the i guess the you know uh, life ecology of a wolf is there's is it's just limited on the landscape that you know the just being how territorial they are and, uh, the nature of wolves is, you, you know, you, they don't get super dense. Um, they just kind of spread out. So I am definitely not a wolf expert, but 
<clears throat> but in general, I would say that um, it's been pretty stable with maybe expanding populations, but um, uh, by and large, um, uh, fairly stable populations uh, for wolves. But um, I think I mentioned um, higher predator populations um, than maybe in the past. And I think I'm, you know, I, I guess I'm talking uh, the whole uh, assembly of predators, including uh, bobcats, bears, wolves, um, you know, those types of things where um, there's, you know, I, I think higher fur bear populations on the landscape than there used to be. Why is that? Well, trapping is down um, considerably. The trapping market is has completely crashed, and um, just in general, there's not nearly as many people who trap anymore. Um, mm-hmm. The the trapping participation numbers are are far worse than the than the hunting participation numbers. It's a you know a very very limited uh, subset of people who trap, sure. um, and um, uh, you know a very specific skill set. So. That's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. I mean, the price of fur going down dictates the, you know, the participation in that. So I understand that. But I mean, I can speak to what I see and, and I've seen more wolves in the last five years than I have ever imagined. I have come across wolf kills, wolves on dead kills. Um, I'm hunting in, you know, northern, northern part of Minnesota, way up there. But, uh, you know, two or three years ago, I saw eight wolves and only four deer on opening day. And I've heard a lot of other people say the same thing. And, you know, the predator prey relationship fluctuates. So let's go look at the Northeast part of the state. Deer numbers have been down over there in the Northeast part of the state. Are they still down? And do we think that that whole up and down cycle of predator and prey will play out here with the wolf numbers being so high up there and the deer numbers being down? Are we seeing anything happening there change wise? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, a absolute beast of a topic. And I will, I will definitely say that I have been hearing those same things. And I was bear hunting earlier this year in the, in the no quota zone right on the line. And um, we did have a, a, um, more wolves on camera than we did have bear. Um, and I heard that's actually a consistent thing as well this year. Um, you know, I, whether that's just means there's more wolves, I, I can, I can't say that, but I think that they're, um, is probably multiple factors, including, you know, what the bears are eating and not, not hitting baits, but, um, that specifically. So a bumper um, acorn then, crop uh, this year. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. hazelnuts and focusing on other things rather than, uh, bear baits might have something to do with that. So, uh, sure. but I guess in general of the, uh, uh, predator prey dynamics, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there, there's the, the long-standing uh, relationship on Isle Royale um, with the, you know, the the moose and and wolves of them going up and down and up and down um, and that playing out. Um, of course, uh, the the island uh, dynamics are far different than the mainland, and um, there's there's a larger uh, prey base. Um, so whether that's deer, moose, uh, beaver, um, whatnot, um, is different. So. Um, we do have, uh, um, uh, we've been having a lot of conversations, um, recently and are planning to do some, some more research within the, the Northern part of the state and, uh, the Northeastern part of the state to, I guess, uh, tease some of those, uh, dynamics out a little bit clearer. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I don't know if it's as uh, simplistic as just saying, um, uh, 
you know, wolves are completely responsible. There's been wolves in uh, northeastern Minnesota and northern Minnesota for a long time. Um, and as I said, I'm not a I'm not a wolf expert. I I don't know um, what the what the population um, it, whether the anecdotal reports are are all the way accurate. So um, I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to stick yeah, my nose no, into that. So yeah, that's but I, fair. I'm not going to negate the 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 reports that um, I've been hearing. I've been hearing it a lot. So I mean, I'm not deaf to it. I, I understand um, and I understand people's concerns. Uh, obviously. Uh, the deer hunting tradition is very strong in Minnesota and in in northeastern Minnesota, northern Minnesota, northeastern Minnesota, especially uh, where the camps are. And um, I've heard those reports of seeing more more wolves and deer, or more wolves on on trail camera. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it might yeah, not be I, super simple. Well, and and it, this is a bigger, much bigger topic, and it's probably its own podcast or ten. But you know the the cry of the hunter says we manage the deer populations because we've taken the natural cycle out of play by all that we do here on the landscape and by hunting them. But that also means then that we should be managing the wolf populations as well because you can't manage one and let the other one run wild. And you know, so there's people that want to have the the wolf season as well, and I get that. And you know, they they cry at the DNR and they. They point fingers at the DNR, but the reality is that's more of a legislation. You know, the hunting season for wolves doesn't fall on your hands at the DNR, does it? No, definitely it's not as simple as uh, uh, the big game program, you know, implementing a a wolf season so that, um, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't happen like that. Currently, wolves are... Um, on the ESA, so the Endangered Species Act or the Endangered Species List, um, uh, that would come down through a, a federal mandate. Um, so uh, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service would take them off the endangered species list, um, and then it would be up to the state to determine whether there was a wolf hunt or not, and that's based on the wolf management plan. Um, so there's multiple states who are, um, you know, everybody points to, well, Wisconsin had a hunt um, just recently, and that is true. Um, uh, it, we did, we did not have a, a wolf plan in place at the time, so uh, we were not. Um, I guess we didn't want to be as uh, I guess uh, super reactive, I should say, um, to it being off the endangered species list. And I know some people will disagree with that, and um, everybody has their opinion on that. But uh, from a, a wildlife management or a, a professional aspect, is uh, you know you want to be making sure that you're 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 crossing your T's and dotting your I's because uh, the way that this has happened in the past is uh, as soon as they come off the endangered species list or uh, the ESA is, um, you know, uh, these the game agencies or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is being sued um, uh, by um, wolf advocates. Um, and if, you know, if you're not doing things in a scientific way, uh, you don't have a very strong case in court. So, um, so there's also that aspect of the, the political aspect uh, behind that and oh, I'm sure. uh, the reasonings to not have a, a, a wolf hunt um, well, ba- versus having one straight out. So ba- based on, yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. So based on that, knowing what you know now, is there a plan in place if they become unlisted? So that way you are ready for it next time? Or does a state factor that in? Or are they? I mean, I know that's not for you. That's not your program, but I'm just curious if you know. Yeah, we uh, we we currently have it set within the um, the wolf management plan, um, and I do I I there are um, certain um, 
stipulations that have to be met to, to have a wolf plan. And like you say, that's not within my program. I'm not super familiar with what um, exactly that is. Of course, it ties into to deer and deer management. But um, uh, yeah, I, the, there would have to be um, certain certain things met. Um, and then I, I guess I, I'd be remiss without saying that uh, within the legislature last year, um, uh, there was a bill talked about to um, have a um, a ban on, on wolf hunting and trapping, uh, in, in the, I guess in Minnesota, uh, into the future. So, um, there is also that political aspect on a state, on a statewide basis. So, um, mm-hmm. those are important things to, I guess, keep in mind that it's not s- as simple as just, uh, you know, this, the state agency DNR saying, yep, we're going to have a wolf hunt. No, we're not. There's, there's a lot that goes behind it. So, um, sure. and we'll see, I guess, how that plays out, um, into the future, I, uh, the the DNR um, had a stance on that that they uh, were not supportive of that, um, and that's just based on on science, scientific management, um, uh, and just taking tools out of our toolbox um, of not being able to have a wolf hunt. Sure, yeah, and I think it's important for people to to realize that a lot of the decisions that are made, wildlife, biology, science, all that stuff, um, gets taken out of the DNR. Uh, biologist's hands because it's determined by elected officials. And that goes for fisheries too. I've seen it. And I just think it's important for people to understand that so that when they're screaming and yelling at DNR do, do this or can't do that, it's, it's really not necessarily pointed in the right direction. Are you tired of your job and wish that you could start a new career? Well, now you can. A Solid Waste is an award-winning waste management company, and they are looking for people just like you. A Solid Waste has over 60 years of experience servicing customers in the Minneapolis metro area, and their company is growing. Ace provides themselves on having safe, reliable, friendly, and professional employees that set their team apart. Their talented staff will run you through Ace University and prepare you for the position that best fits your skill sets. From truck driver operator to mechanic, operations to customer service, there is a perfect role at Ace waiting just for you. Plus, you'll receive competitive salary, benefits, and paid vacation. Life is short. Don't stay at a job that's not right for you. Experience the Ace difference today. Check them out at acesolidwaste.com. Clean, affordable, reliable energy. These are all the things that people want for their homes and businesses. The one source of energy in Minnesota that can offer all of these benefits is propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Affordable. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in the U.S. The savings can be even higher in Minnesota. Reliable. Propane is energy stored on site, independent of the grid, and propane can power your home or business anytime you need it. Energy. Propane is a direct energy source used at your home or business, unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home. By the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is lost. That is why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For more information on what propane can do for you and the environment, go to propane.com. Let's go then to 
wrap up the deer populations in the Northeast? Are, are they on par for last year? Are they up? Are they down? What are we seeing? Yeah. Um, from, from what I've been hearing and <laughs> I, I should preface this by saying last year, I think, uh, I gave a little bit more rosy of a outlook than I maybe should have. Um, <laughs> and I did actually hear hey, that. We're from all a couple we white... all get to be <laughs> optimists sometimes, right? <laughs> Well, I heard from a couple of buddies that I was full of it. So, uh, so I better be a, a little bit more of a realist this year. Um, uh, and I, I would say that after, um, the second year of a, a really severe winter, I think it's going to be a tough deer hunt for, um, at least a, a majority of Northeastern Minnesota. Um, you know, there's going to be some, some localized strongholds where, um, you know, we, you have a, a better, you know, you have better habitat where you have some, maybe some mixed in fields and, uh, versus just a, you know, large, huge timber or something like that. So there's going to be areas I I would say that you're going to have to be diligent and, and your scouting of, in where you're going. I think if you, if you put the time in and you scout, you could have success. But, um, if you're relying on the old traditional, um, stand that you've been sitting in for 20, 30 years, that might not, uh, it might not be the best. Um, the, deer maybe change their habitats or their patterns and um they might not be there so uh in just in general i think duluth had the the snowiest winter on record so uh you know that that is uh i guess indicative for a lot of the northeastern part of the state along the north shore um so uh you know in general there's uh quite a uh, quite low deer low low deer densities in that in that region um anyways and then uh based off the back-to-back winters um i think it'll be uh pretty tough in in some of those uh parts of the state and then you know uh i guess overall and um north central even you know the farther farther reaches of the state um i guess the same kind of goes with that as uh double back-to-back winters is never a good thing for for deer populations and uh productivity so um, we have reduced, um, bag limits in those areas on purpose. Um, that's to try and increase the deer populations, uh, in just in general, uh, this last decade has been extremely snowy. So, um, deer populations have not been responding, um, like they have in the past in, in Northern Minnesota. So, um, yeah, it'll be difficult in some areas, but, uh, you know, the opportunity is there, uh, to get the, I guess the boots on the ground and, uh, make sure you're, you're doing some scouting and, um, I guess finding those active deer areas, um, not all is lost, but, um, I, I can't say that, um, it won't be tough in some areas. How about Northwest? I know it was tough up there too. Is that part of the state have numbers lower than last year as well? Yeah, there, there's going to be definitely, uh, parts of Northwestern Minnesota that are down as well. Um, but there, I think, uh, you know, uh, one other important piece that, uh, I've talked with a couple of the area managers up there is, uh, they've lost a, you know, quite a bit of habitat in the, in the, in the past five, 10 years as well. So, uh, those CRP acres is going down. So, um, that's a somewhat of a reflection of that. Um, but, uh, of course, the the harsh winters is also, you know, that reflection in certain areas where you're going to have um, those reduced populations. But um, I think all in all, uh, northwestern Minnesota um, should still have pretty strong, um, you know, opportunity and populations of deer. Um, and it'll be localized of where, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, where it's down and where it's not. But I did hear some <clears throat> some people who... 
I heard some reports of people who were um, doing some archery hunting in, in uh, you know, far northwestern Minnesota, and um, they reported seeing a lot of deer. So um, there are areas where, um, you know, the deer populations have held strong, but um, winter has maybe taken a toll on some areas. Okay. Uh, CWD is obviously a very hot topic. We spent a lot of time talking about it last year. Are there any new reported cases in Minnesota as this hunting season has begun already? Yeah. So we're, we're only at one so far for the year, um, which is, I guess, good news. Uh, I'm not sure how many, how many samples we, we have, uh, currently, but, um, uh, you know, our, our sampling framework currently is just the, uh, um, the, uh, partner sampling programs for those taxidermists or uh, meat processors or the sports shops who are in the partner sampling program. Um, those mail-in kits are the kind of, you know, uh, going into those area offices via appointment. So it's all voluntary basis right now. So we're not getting the large amount of samples. So with that said, we only, we only have one positive um, and that is actually in the Grand Rapids area. So um, it's within, I believe a mile, mile and a half of, uh, those existing positives that are, um, in the city limits. So, um, same area, not entirely unexpected. Um, I guess it's, uh, it's always a bummer, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, not entirely unexpected, but that is the only positive we have to date. That was taken by a hunter this year, bow hunter, archery? Yep. That Yep. Yep. So there's a, a grand, there's grand rampant city hunts going on. Um, and those, uh, city hunts are all, uh, mandatory sampling. Um, and that hunter did get their deer, uh, sampled, uh, and yeah, so that was, a a positive deer. I think it was taken out of the grand ready, the grand rapids hunt. If it wasn't, it was just right outside, but, um, nonetheless, it was, you know, with a mile, within a mile, mile and a half of, of the other positives. Are you encouraging hunters around the state to bring in and test their deer? And if so, how do they do it and where? Yeah. Um, I, I guess I test all the deer that I shoot. Um, I, I feel it's important. It's, a, I guess, an assessment of risk for, for hunters that are outside the uh, CWD management or surveillance areas. Within those areas, it's mandatory sampling uh, on the opening weekend. Um, so we'll have those, uh, staff stations, uh, available for hunters within those, um, the CWD management areas. So, uh, with all the 600s, uh, DPAs, so, um, Southeastern Minnesota, um, around Brainerd or Crow Wing County, um, uh, you know, Bemidji, uh, those, those climax areas. So those 600 series, um, DPAs and those will all be staff stations. Uh, so on opening weekend, you can take your, take your deer into the, into the station and, and get it sampled. Um, if, if you don't want to do that, uh, you can also request a, a, a mail in a CWD mail in kit. So, um, you request a kit, we send you everything you need, uh, and then you take the sample yourself. So you take the lymph nodes and, and ship them back to us and we ship them to the lab. Um, there's also the option to set up appointment, uh, with an area wildlife office and they can take the sample for you. Um, and then, uh, additionally during the firearm season, um, you can also use the head boxes that are at those stations to drop off a, a head or if you want to take the sample and drop it off and just fill out that, that red tag, um, similar to as people have in the past, um, to, to do it that way. So within those CWD management and surveillance areas, but, there will be um, 
uh, staff stations that are, I guess, opening weekend that are the easiest. So, Okay. And then if, if people, like you said, they, they want to request that mail-in kit, just head to the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources website, mndnr.com, and then you'll find information on that site. Last thing here before we, we wrap this up today, I always find it funny that every single firearm deer season in Minnesota Everyone is a rut expert. <laughs> they always know what's happening out there. So whether it's somebody in my camp that I'm hunting with or I'm talking to a friend in a different part of the state, they're like, oh, the rut was off here. Nothing was moving. It was, you know, it was, it was hot. Nothing. No, the rut hasn't kicked in yet. And then, you know, five miles away, you hear somebody else. They're like, oh, gosh, bucks were chasing does everywhere. Rut is full on here. Oh, yeah. How do you know that? He's like, I saw two forks. They were out there fighting and there were does around him. I'm like, oh, my gosh. OK, so what ultimately determines the rut for people listening right now? Because it's not exactly how warm it is on a given day. There's a lot more that goes into the the biology of a deer and when the doe goes into heat. And the fact is a buck would be ready today if a doe came into heat. We all know that. So when do the does actually go into that cycle and how is that determined? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like you say, bucks would be ready um, no matter, but uh, are, uh, it's based on light period. So those, that photo period within a day um, is the signal for that. Um, <clears throat> and there's been, you know, a lot of research done whether, uh, you know, rut is uh, – influenced by weather or the moon um and there are some strong believers that depending on the weather front or the the moon phase that uh, it has a lot to do with it but research has has shown that um that is very uh, negligible if there is an effect at all um so it, it is all dependent upon um photo period so the shortening of the days uh, determines when the time is right um and that usually falls i guess within minnesota to be the peak rut of uh you know this this is based off of uh past research of of fawning dates so uh you know dating back the the days of conception so um uh, the the peak rut period would be uh november 5th to november 8th um just based on when fawns are born so um that is pretty consistent that's uh the i guess you know what deer use is as a tactic, um, it's called predator swamping. So, um, trying to have fawns all in the same time, um, to, you know, I guess better their chances of, of survival, uh, and productivity. And, uh, you all also often hear uh, about the, you know, the, the second rut or the, the magical second rut. And, um, that is a thing. Um, so they come, a, a deer cycles back into estrus, uh, at the 27 day mark. So, um, you know, whatever, wherever that falls, um, based off of, um, the, the, the pre, I guess the, the rut date. Um, so that early it would be, I don't know, I don't have a calendar in front of me, but the, the second rut would be, you know, the early, um, December, um, date. So right the around, 27 right around days. the 1st of December, basically. Yeah. <laughs> after. And of course that's going to be a, a lower, um, a lower upswing yeah, of activities. Yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't get bred. Yep, exactly. Whatever wasn't and, successful or those in areas where maybe it's high deer populations, 
um, where they just bucks, there weren't enough bucks to breed does, which typically isn't a problem, but in certain cases it can be, um, depending on what your deer population looks like. And then also, um, some of those fawns uh, that are, that are healthy enough that to be bred, um, will be coming into, I guess, um, you know, estrus at that point, or even later, um, they'll, con- they'll continue to cycle until they are bred. So, um, you know, there can be, there can be more than uh, one rod. It's just not going to be as noticeable. So, and uh, I guess based on that, I, I just recently saw some, um, some collared, uh, data based out of Wisconsin of, of activity and that, um, the magical time to be in the woods is, is right there, um, before October, um, you know, like the Halloween, everybody always talks about, and there was a mm-hmm. significant uptick. I think it was like October 26 and, you know, um, for, um, running, you know, buck activity. So, um, October 26 to that, you know, peak rut period. Um, and then a slight, you know, slight decline from there on all with little, little travels of peak based on, um, what those, uh, you know, coming back into estrus were. So, but yeah, that, uh, that pre-rut data, you know, when you're starting to see the, the scrape activity, uh, at the peak is, you know, um, you know, directly before rut or right Halloween. at rut, rutting phase. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's that, why that all makes sense. It does. I've the most magical day to be in the woods every year is Halloween day. It's been like that since I started bow hunting when I was 12 years old. I had a streak of seven years in a row that I harvested a deer with my bow on Halloween. And that was a long time ago before I had kids. Now Halloween is not spent in the deer stand, unfortunately. But I just always knew that day was going to be magical to be in the woods. So Put it on your calendar, people. That's the reason why. I'm glad that you were able to point out that information, Todd. It is the best time of the year. I could talk about deer hunting for days and days and days. I will leave you with this, and maybe you can add if you want, Todd, but I know we've been on longer than I had planned. Um, If you get a deer, my favorite recipe lately with venison steak, you just leave the steak whole, okay? You bring it out. You you thaw it if it's frozen, marinate, uh, sprinkle Walton's ultimate steak and roast rub seasoning on it. Um, it is, I don't know what's in there, but it is so dang good. And then I drizzle, um, olive oil over it. And basically that just locks in all that flavor that olive oil does that. I let it sit for like three or four hours. I put it on the grill. Do not overcook it. 130 degrees. Take that off and let it sit for five minutes at least before touching it and then cut it up and everybody will enjoy it. It is, oh gosh, I just can't wait to harvest another deer because that is the best steak that I know how to make. And it is so simple. Highly recommend people to do it. The key is 130 degrees. So do you have a recipe for deer that you prefer, Todd? Yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds delicious. I do something, uh, pretty similar. Um, I do, uh, uh, I guess a third parts of oil, third parts of, uh, honey, and then, uh, some, uh, I guess a third of uh, soy sauce. And that's really, really seems to, to do a great job and then just top it off, I guess, with, uh, whatever seasoning you like. And like you say, put it on the, put it on the grill and, uh, cook it to, to one thirty is perfect. Um, and I guess, the other easy, which we usually have a tradition of doing is just, uh, you know, uh, pan, pan frying, searing within some, some butter, just as simple mm-hmm. as that. And then eating it. So, uh, mm-hmm. with of course, maybe some seasoning salt or something, but yeah, it's a uh, pretty, pretty easy recipes, which are 
ultimately delicious. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. I had a couple people over and they were eating it. They're not hunters and they just thought they were eating beefsteak. And so mm-hmm. they're like, where do you get your beef from? Because we do get beef from a friend that has their own. And I'm like, oh, I got it from such, or I get my beef there, but this is actually deer. And they're like, what? No <laughs> way. They just like, it knocked them back in their chair a little bit because they just hammered the entire plate. And then I told them afterwards, but anyway, anyway, that's just for fun. When you come to my house, you never know what you're going to get. Um, Todd, appreciate all of your time today. Good luck out there this hunting season. And obviously to everybody listening, we hope that you bag a big buck, bring a kid along. It doesn't have to have huge antlers to be a trophy. They're all trophies. It's a, it's the best time of the year. It really is. Anything you want to leave us with, Todd? No, yeah. Get out there. It's a, like we talked about at the, the top of the episode, is uh, this is the best time of the year. It's short-lived. So mm-hmm. um, when you can, uh, get out there. Yeah, take a kid out and uh, enjoy it and uh, be safe. And, yeah, just... Uh, uh yeah eat up the fall there it is we'll be back soon with another episode of the do north outdoors podcast mm-hmm.